0: Welcome to Click, a podcast about people, property, and places. I'm your host Josh Kindred. Uh, we're podcasting today out of Redcliffe, our uh, HQ, and we're joined today by Australasia's number one auctioneer, Justin Nickerson. Thanks for joining us.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So, uh, Justin, a couple of quick facts about you: love a piccolo, um, that's your go-to coffee. Um, you're a massive Lion supporter, and you've called auctions all around Australia. Um, New Zealand tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: That's kind of it mate really you've kind of hit the big 3 <laughs> straight away. Um never drank coffee before I got into real estate. Um now trying to wean myself from 3 to 2 a day. So um some days I'm really good at it, some days not so. Um big Lions fan, loved the Lions since I was since I was a little kid and um, yep. still a little kid really when it still comes to a the Lions. Kid. And uh and yeah auctioneering has been my my core trade for Um, Better part of a decade now Calling auctions through Australia Call auctions across the ditch As you mentioned New Zealand as well Yep um, And do a lot of training Around auctions And and real estate in general
0: Awesome So um, So Real estate You've been in real estate For just over a decade um, Coffee attic For just over a decade Um, What got you into it?
1: Um, It's a really Really interesting question And I think um, I think I'm like A lot of people Before
0: you go there How old were you?
1: When I got into real estate Yeah well, if I say that, everyone will know how old I am now. That's all right. Uh, I was in my early 20s. Okay. Yep. So when I came out of school, um, like most school leavers, I, I kind of, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think you know what you don't want to do, but it's very hard to identify what you do want to do. Um, so I was a little bit kind of, I'll, I'll probably go to uni and, and do a degree, which is just kind of the the fallback for me because there was no real purpose. Um, But I actually got a job at the AFL. So I worked with the AFL for for a number of years um, prior to leaving school and then got a job when I came out of school. Uh, Worked in Brisbane, lived in Mackay, lived in Mount Isa, um, doing a lot of um, junior development and talent kind of recruitment. Awesome. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. Um, But it's a job that probably – it's a job you struggle to do for a long time. Um, And probably there was people in it that – I looked at them at their stage of their life. They might have been forty-five. Um, didn't have a lot of financial wealth, which is not the be all and end all, um, but probably didn't have a lot of personal wealth either. They had either right. no relationships or broken relationships with their partner, with their kids, um, just through the travel that are it probably took, and also spending weekends doing um, doing footy stuff. So I um, I bought a property through that journey, um, sold it time to boom in Mackay somehow um so I thought how easy is awesome. real estate yeah, you just yeah. buy a house and you make a lot of money and then sell it and then buy another one so yep. um I handed it all back on my next purchase though
0: <laughs> as you do as you do
1: um but then I sort of came back and I thought well I want to do something that I can create a financial future for myself um didn't have a uni degree um wanted to wear some nice clothes and potentially drive a nice car and I think when that's your criteria most people end up in real estate um, and that's kind of how it
0: worked. Never seen that before.
1: No, no, never. No isolated story that one. So mm. yeah, that was kind of how it worked out. That real estate became my my calling, so to speak.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So um, that that coaching element um, is something that's obviously been with you and stayed with you right now. Um, you do some coaching for our our guys in our business, our real estate business, um, and we love having you doing that. Um, tell us about the coaching that you do now, and what and why do you. You How know, had you, I suppose, include coaching in a real estate career?
1: Yeah, Mum always said I'd make a good teacher, actually. Um, and it's funny because that's kind of what we do now, really. Um, we do do teaching. And, and I think the approach I've always tried to take with teaching, I think that it's it's very easy to disengage someone if you stand at the front and tell them what they should be doing. Um, I think if you stand up and say, look, this is what I've seen done with success, and you can make small alterations to what you do that can actually improve your business and, and by, by proxy improve your results... Um, that's kind of the approach I've always taken to it. And I, I really enjoy training. Um, I enjoy – sorry, I'll, I'll I'll put a countermark on that. I enjoy training with businesses and people that want to learn and want right. to develop and want to grow. Yeah. Um, as a trainer, it's incredibly um, inspiring and uplifting when you deal with those kinds of people. Um, on the flip side to that, you do come across groups and individuals that just – don't either have a capacity for growth at that particular time or just are at a stage where they're not ready to, to take on new things and, and that can be quite demotivating. Um, you sort of jump in front of them and you, you tell them, you know, this is stuff that can help you and, and everyone sort of nods and smiles and, and maybe writes some, some notes down in the book um, but then you're back in front of them the next month and nothing's nothing's changed. Nothing's so, changed, yeah. yeah.
0: So um, when you, I suppose, did somebody inspire you? Was it, was there a great coach or an inspiration, a mentor when you started out in real estate
1: um, I had a, I've had a few. So my first auctioneering um, mentor was a guy called Jason Andrew who um, who was kind of the pioneer of independent auctioneering in Queensland in a lot of ways. So he was probably my first mentor that um, really from a technical point of view showed me how to call an auction, how to build an auction business, um, to create relationships. Um, a lot of the training that, I've, that I do is probably um, stuff that I've learned from him and then kind of um, modified along the way. So he was probably my first one. Then I had, had another mentor who I work with more towards the competition element so yep. how do i start to win competitions how do you start to really develop your skill because i think most coaches and mentors and trainers well, or three all of them have a use by date i think it's very hard to continually be the right person for be the right person for that person for a long period of time because right. you do people grow and they change and you sort of get to your capacity with that person and then you know the best mentors i think are people who can then step aside and say look i've probably taken this person or this group as far as i can this person now has a skill set to get them to do do different stuff so i probably had a few along along the way um either kind of formal mentors that you you actually they know you're the mentor and that but you have a lot of informal mentors too that people don't even know they're mentoring you and you you pick stuff up and um you know there's there's examples of those in, in everyday life and even you know you look at a business like yours which which is um you know, always find when you walk in this building, it's an incredibly uh, vibrant place and there's a really just, just a really good feel when you walk inside and that that is a form of coaching because by proxy you've created an environment that actually I'm learning, hey, this is a good feel when you walk inside this office. So I think there's formal mentors but also informal as well.
0: Yeah, it's a, a really interesting way to look at it. Um, great insight. Um, you know, probably the only counter to um, great coaches that can live on is Alistair Clarkson, a fantastic Hawks coach. I'll just throw that in there, um, even though we've copped a couple of losses tenth, from your Tenth?
1: Can someone check the ladder? I don't look below third these days, mate, so it's all, you know, <laughs> you might as well be last. If you're not in the top three, uh, an equal first, really, to, to be fair, is probably probably where it sort of stops at the moment. So um,
0: Yeah, all right, I'll leave that one. Uh, <laughs> even though we are the most successful AFL team of the last couple of decades. Um, in, your, uh, in your opinion. T- <laughs> tell me about um, your first day in real estate. Do, we, do you have a story? Um, I wrote this question down because I remember mine and it was crazy, so I thought um, I'll ask I, you. I, Hopefully, there's something cool.
1: I don't, mate. No. To to be fair, I was actually just across the across the bridge in Sandgate. Um, I've got a dreadful memory, so it probably helps me in a lot of cases because I can shrug things off pretty quickly because I can't remember them. But um, no, no memory. But I'd love to hear yours. So, Josh, do you have a first day in <laughs> real estate? You have a memory to that?
0: Uh, um. I'm not going to share mine um, right now. Um, oh, it was in Cairns um, and something horrific happened. So I walked into a house with blood everywhere. Yeah. Um, Cairns is a bit of a crazy place. Not uncommon thing in Cairns? Some <laughs> parts of Cairns. We were down in... Uh, I bet, I'm not going to say that actually. Um, yeah, it was uh, very interesting as a young 17-year-old to walk into a, a home and um, be going to sell it after the circumstances that had occurred. Um, it was an interesting first day but... Mate, tell me about um, uh, just
1: a point, mate. I've got a joke mm. about cans. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, love to. Where do backpacking baked beans end up?
0: <laughs> Very good cans. There you go. Yeah, love it. Yeah, well done. Some of your finest work. Um, tell me. So you bought a property in Mackay of all places. Um, I hear about the Mackay. Um, I suppose region especially through exposure with the REIQ that that market's up and down it's tough um, tell me about what it was like to buy there and, and why did you what made you buy
1: um, I've probably come from a um, I've had a strong influence my parents from a business background and and um, my, my dad's run a business for um, many years and mum's an accountant by by profession, so I probably always had pretty sound financial and business advice. And um, when I was going to live up there, they they kind of looked at the rents and looked at the prices of properties, and and quite rightly they pushed me in the direction of buying a property instead of renting. Um, and I bought a property where you could rent out downstairs and and live upstairs, so you kind of had that element to it as well. And um, it just timed it; it was just on the right end of the boom, and and um, and did really well out of it. Um, like I said, it wasn't wasn't the precursor to every deal after that being the same, but. I think it, it definitely sowed a seed, um, and I do remember the experience we had with the real estate agent being quite ordinary. Okay, um, just in terms of follow up and just really basic stuff, and and I remember thinking, oh, gee, that must be kind of the, the standard or, or how things work. And it, it probably mm. you know you talk about mentors again in a way that person coaches you because they actually coach you in a way that to say, hey, you can do this better. Um, and if you do it the same as her, this is the experience that you're going to feel or the way you're going to feel. So. Um, yeah, so I bought the property there and um, and just thought it was a good way to, to sort of invest and, and not pay rent and that's kind of been the foundation of thinking then for, for over, and, over and above.
0: So um, so do you, um, tell us as much as you want here, do you your own property now, what sort of property to look for, um, what does that look like for
1: you? I do own property now, yeah, so um, I bought a property or we bought a property I should say, um, a couple of years ago there was probably going to be a, a longer term home in Brisbane. Yep. Um, I'm I'm a bit of a sucker for a view, so Whereabouts in Brizzy? East Brisbane.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yep.
1: Um probably prices set to explode there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right um, now. In Yeah. Yeah, definitely right now. Yeah. yeah, as of as of this podcast. So, um yeah, I've always been a sucker, sucker for a view, so I've always kind of been, look, I, I don't really care that much about the house, I just want something nice to look at, and over these parts, obviously, it's usually the ocean, when you're going towards the city, which is kind of where we had to be for um, work geographical purposes, it was it was a city view, so I um, stumbled across an old Queenslander that um, that was kind of over and above what we wanted to spend, but had a great outlook on the city and the Story Bridge, and as soon as it had that, I was in. Yep. Um and uh and yeah and that was kind of the, the dream from there so um i've always been of one that probably buying unfinished products is more me and, and then having good intentions to renovate them whether that happens or not sometimes not always the case but that's always been my my strategy
0: so you bought a Queenslander, east brisbane um have you renovated
1: um look we've we've done some pretty extensive um no, we haven't. We've done a bit of yard work, and that's really about it. So, <laughs> trim the, I'm mowed, yeah, I mowed the you lawn. You mow the t- lawn. I actually don't know. Yeah. So, I haven't even done that myself. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm not blessed with good handy, uh, good hands. So, um, yeah, I get calluses just thinking about doing renovations. To be honest. Yeah, right. But um,
0: someone else will. The next buyer.
1: The person who's good at it will do it. Yeah, or the next buyer. That's right. But um, no, I uh, I've committed myself to um, working hard and hopefully being able to fund them and uh, and let someone else the handiwork
0: yeah excellent and so um have you got investment aspirations in property now um is that is that something that you're always looking for you obviously see a lot of property
1: yeah i've had a few investment properties across the journey um in different areas and have it, and kind of just been just different opportunities that have bobbed up more so than a strategy to say oh, i'm going to buy in this place or this place or it's just kind of been oh gee that that seems like pretty good value and not a bad area and and going a little bit on gut feel um, but I've probably the investment strategy you've had semi recently has been more inside businesses more so than than um than property. But I also like diversification too. You know, shares and property and businesses a little bit of everything.
0: It surprises me, and I I wonder if you can um, shed some light on this. It surprises me the amount of people that I've had exposure to in this industry that have bought property but really don't have a strong strategy. And it's that well, this property bobbed up and I. You know, I went ahead with it. I can think of a guy right now in our office who's extremely successful and he's been talking about getting investment property for the last couple of years. And he, you can float one past him that he sees and he goes, oh, I might buy it. And then there's just no strategy behind it. Yeah. Have you seen guys with good strategy? Um, is there a reason that that happens?
1: I think it's education. It's what you're exposed to. Um, I know a few a few people that are kind of on both sides of the coin. You think that... It, you know, why not invest into money rather than have it sit in the bank, uh, Mm. invest in a property rather than having the money sit in the bank. And then you see other people that have got really rigid kind of, not only a criteria for what they buy, but they're very rigid in the process. Okay, I'm going to buy a property here and I'm going to pay this much down on it. And then go, so I think it's a lot of education. Um, I said, I was lucky that my education as a, as a formative, my formative adult years was probably around accounting um, and business, which is, which is the influence of my parents. But Mm. I think if other people didn't have that influence when, your, in your young adult years, unless you seek it out, you never grow it. There's um, a real
0: lack of education, isn't there, for property. Um, I think that's not just generational right now for, for the younger generation. That's across the board. Isn't there's not a lot of education in property.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of well, I don't think there's a lot of education without agenda. I think that's the problem right. is you see a lot of property seminars and they're informative and educational, but there's always a hook. It's yep. like, yeah, you come along and you're gonna sit there but for four hours we're gonna try and sell you, you know, our investment right. strategy. And I think there's not enough agenda free education where it's just, hey, there's no agenda here, come mm. along and learn about this stuff because this stuff is important. Mm. Um you know, you the financial decisions you make in your early twenties have ramifications on your life for many years. I know um, I, I bought a car in my early 20s that, that was not a car that I should have bought. I bought a Holden right. Ute, black yep. Holden Ute. Um, so i got, got a it. story about this, actually. <laughs> if there's no time limit, <laughs> no, I'll no, tell no. you this yeah, story. Yeah, tell us. So I bought this black Holden Ute. I went through a stage of thinking that um, – I was already pretty cool, but I just wanted to get a little bit cooler. And the only thing that can make it cooler at that age is a Black Holden ute. Yes. So I had a black – as a VS ute uh, for those Commodore fans out there. Um, bought this ute, which was above what I should have been spending on a car at that particular point in time, so it's a bad financial decision. And, and much as I had advice um, from my parents who suggested it's not the best investment, you – when you're as bullheaded as I am, you sometimes take it and sometimes don't. So I bought this Holden Ute, um, got about six months down the track of driving it and decided that I actually don't like Holden Ute still that much. Um, it was never a car person, still not a car person. And every time it rained, I'd fishtail through roundabouts <laughs> and just thought this is a bad, bad decision. So anyway, yeah. I went to sell this Ute and I, I actually put it up for sale. And um, I hadn't put a lot of K's on it at that stage. I wasn't doing a lot of driving and came up to sell it. And this lady, I still remember the day. So this lady was going to buy it for her son who was attending Churchy. Um, as he's whip, it, whip around Ute, yep. you. Yeah. Know, awesome. The blessed few. W- worst decision ever. Yeah. You know, I picked her up from the train station, this lady from the country, and she was just going to take the car for a, for a quick spin around, pay it. She was actually going to pay me more than I bought it for, oh. which is never the case. Like yep. in a, in a car transaction, it never happens. So anyway, picked her up, walked to the car, took the car and tried to stern, the car wouldn't start. No. Never happened before. Car wouldn't start. Honestly, car wouldn't start. So, um, Went to um, McCormack's Auto at Sandgate. Um, good friends of the McCormack's. As a yep. quick plug if you need new yep, yep. needs. McCormack's McCormack. at Sandgate. Do you have a
0: sponsor for the podcast? Um, we've got McCormack's now.
1: McCormack's, yeah, for all your <laughs> automation needs. Um, so, I we went to McCormack's and uh, they towed it there, which is only a couple of hundred metres, but they had to tow it because the car wouldn't start. Yep. Uh, turned out the motor had seized the engine. No way. New engine. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the lady didn't want to buy it, understandably. Oh, I wonder why. So, I ended up about five or six grand less than I would have because I had to pay not only for the new engine, but also lost money on, um, on selling it to the next buyer. So um, there was a financial thing, decision at that point in my life that cost you five or $6,000. And when you're in your early 20s or your late teens, that's a lot of money. Um, mm. So I think that coming back to the, Hopefully she went and bought her
0: it. son a Honda XL. I doubt it. Or something safe.
1: I doubt it. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Um, but I think you make decisions in your early 20s where you don't really put enough time and care into those decisions and then mm. they can actually carry pretty heavy ramifications for your life.
0: Yeah, I think um, certainly we've seen a lot of people do that in property. Um, obviously, I, look, does auction expose you more to that type of um, property, poor decision type experience you know there's a i suppose a bit of a thought process that or a perception that auction picks up some of the properties that are mortgagees or um, people that are struggling is that the case do you do you have more exposure to that
1: Maybe a little bit. Um, or is it a bit of a myth? It's probably a bit of a myth. When I first started, we, in calling auctions, I first started calling auctions in 2010. And I don't know if you remember the market in 2010. Yes, um, very well. Yeah, you would have been in your early 30s or something by mm. well then, wouldn't you?
0: no. Nope. <laughs> so, 2010,
1: um, the market was really tough. And we were probably doing about 30% of the auctions we were doing in mortgagees. Yeah, okay. And it's never been that high again. So, it's probably now sub-5% um in terms of those so i think right in the early stages yes definitely and you saw a lot of people who had overcommitted, people who had um you know bought it at levels they couldn't afford to service um made poor decisions around who they went with how they repaid money all that kind of stuff so a little bit at the start but probably not as much as you'd expect
0: so really it's probably that the myth just lasts or carries on because when the market is tough the banks are choosing to use auction
1: yeah, well, auctions tend to be fair market value. So that's why right. the banks do it. Same as deceased estates. Um, quite often we do deceased estates. We, um, we, you know, the reason why they go that path is because there's either a dispute in the estate or they need to be seen to achieve fair market value. So right. that's why they adopt and take that process on.
0: So tell me, um, I'm, I'm going a little bit all over the shop here, but why is auction a great way for, for somebody to sell? Um, and is it the best way to sell?
1: Uh, how long do you have?
0: <laughs> oh, try and give us a one-minute wrap-up of why, why you'd auction your property.
1: Um, I think in this marketplace, um, the big benefit you have for auction is it gives you transparency. So I think um, auction gives you, as a buyer, it gives you transparency over your competition, but as a seller, it gives you transparency to the market as well. And I think the flaw in this marketplace is that um, there's just so much inconsistency that it's hard to get a reasonable price baseline on things. And... The mistake you make is you list the property and it's too high and you waste your best first couple of weeks of inquiry, which is your best buyers and then all of a sudden um, you know you haven't you haven't achieved the result you want to get. Or conversely you list it too low, it sells too quickly and potentially you could have got more money. So I just think it's a process that allows time. Um, it allows you time to meet your buyers and your sellers at the right. same point at the same time and that's an important thing in this market. Um, I believe in auction because I'm clearly paid to call auctions so it's, it's a bit of a paid advertisement but ideally if I was going to sell my own property I'd auction it.
0: Right, so um, obviously a huge advocate for, for the auction process and, and um, so are the banks and what we call fair market value. site or in-room auctions?
1: Um, any auctioneer that tells you they prefer site is a liar. Because you call more auctions in a shorter amount of time at an in rooms, you don't have to deal with traffic, you don't have to deal with weather, and you don't have to deal with any neighbors that fire up their whippersnipper snipper at that point in time. Right. So I always think on site auctions are fantastic. Um, a little bit like a garden wedding. If everything is right, on site auctions are fantastic. You know, you can you can picture that uh, you're standing on the property, you're looking out over the bay. It's beautiful. You know, migaloo goes past. It's just yep. magic, right? The next day, it's pouring down with rain. Megaloo's nowhere to be seen. And the neighbour next door who you've had a dispute with for three years decides that's the optimal time to start up doing trimming his hedges with his chainsaw on that side of the, the boundary. So you just open the, open the door for that risk, I think. Um, right. Plus, also, you get to use a gavel in rooms. So um, you don't use a gavel on site, so it's a little bit of a chance to whip that out and give it a go.
0: Right, so you don't use the gavel on site.
1: No, I'm a bit of a hand talker So I like having my hands clear So right, right. I have a, um, like a brochure or something in one hand But the mm. other hand always like being free I think yeah. if I have a gavel, it's all kind of like Yeah, yeah, like, that makes
0: sense mm. It's a body language thing and <laughs> They say when you, your hands are open, you're being honest So you're, you're an honest auctioneer Yep I like to think so Yep, great You brought your gavel in today gavels. You brought two gavels in Yeah um, Tell us about your gavels You've got a white one and a black one uh, <laughs> just to just, just to describe. <laughs> uh,
1: now I know you're mature enough to handle this conversation, so you can tell a lot about auctioneer about his gavel. Um, to be honest, I noticed is that Frankie's the
0: that is Frankie's gavel. He's got a larger <laughs> gavel, um, and he's got a more of a tan gavel.
1: Um, and good on Frankie. Uh, it's a it's a very nice looking gavel he has. I I don't like really big gavels. Um, just for the sake, I always feel like you're wielding a sledgehammer and it's all just a bit too too hard to control. So um, I, neither of these are actually the gavel. I thought I
0: was mature before we started this conversation. Yeah, I knew this was dangerous territory. So, no, with please you, babe. keep going.
1: So I've I've actually probably got by best estimate probably eight gavels would be my. Wow. Best estimate? Yeah, one for all seasons. But there's one that I use all the time, which you get very used to, the... I know it sounds funny, but you get used to the size of it and the right. feel of it. Um, that's why when you use that one's actually quite small. That that little white one. It is um, is so it'd actually be too small for me to use because you you just be fidgeting with it because it wouldn't fit in your hand. Well, the other one is actually my favorite gavel. Um, it's actually too good to use. I've never used it. So when I um when I won uh, one of the the auctioneering competitions that I won in Alice Springs of all places, um, they actually gave me that gavel which was handmade by an Aboriginal artist. Oh wow! Um, and it's made of really really nice wood in. Um, from a traditional tree in Alice Springs and he'd handcrafted it and painted it and everything. So it's a bit, a bit of a sentimental one, that one, but I'd, it's too good to use. So um, so it's just a display gavel only.
0: Display gavel. What? Why do you have eight gavels? Sorry, I just had to ask.
1: Um, uh, you kind of just accumulate them, to be honest. Um, right. It's quite funny. Sometimes when you do um, charity auctions or you do uh, events for people, they actually give you a gavel. Okay. You're sort of like, well... Pretty sure I've got a gavel already, but thanks for the thanks for the, thanks thought, for the, gavel. the same. Yeah, it's like um, getting a builder to come around and build you a new kitchen and give him a hammer at the end of it. Like, here you go, mate. <laughs> Didn't think you <laughs> had one of these, so here you go. Um, yep. But no, I would actually very rarely use them other than in rooms, so I, I probably just accumulate them and then don't use them. One of my, my um, best mates who um, does some woodwork on the side is a side business. He's got Elm Handmade, second sponsor.
0: Elm Handmade.
1: Elm Handmade, yep. yep. So for all your woodwork needs, he can um, help you out. Where, where is he? Uh, he's in South Australia
0: Okay Yep. So Love mate, him. you've done some travel Alice Springs for for a gavel You've got a South Australian gavel What's your favourite place? What's your favourite place to call an auction? Ooh,
1: mate, that's tough um, That's really tough Favourite place to call an auction or favourite place to go? C-
0: call an auction
1: Um, oh, I actually really like I really like the bay sides. I actually like both Sandgate and also we do a lot through Wyndham in that area as well. Okay. It's just something about being near the water that I like. Um, and both of them are a little bit quieter. We do a lot, a lot of options on the coast, but the coast is a bit busy. Okay. But I think either of the bay sides would be my favourite.
0: Yeah, excellent. All right. And so, what, what's your favourite place to go?
1: Uh, the Gabba. The world. When when like the lines you, in, in the orcs.
0: world, you'd, you'd go... <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, or anywhere,
1: anywhere the lines of land looks. No favorite place in the world. Uh, I've been to America quite a few times. I'm, I really like America. Um, I'm actually a big NFL fan as well. So I've been okay. to Minnesota a lot because I follow right. the Vikings. So um, if I had the trip of going, if I had the choice of going on a trip anywhere, I'd probably go to Minnesota and watch the Vikings.
0: What well, What is it about Minnesota that you love?
1: Just it's so different to here. Everything's different. It yep. snows, which you don't get here. It's um, just America's different. It there's a lot of similarities. We we speak the same language. We we're fundamentally, you know, in a lot of ways the same people, but they're just it's just different in the way that it that it exists. So uh, and there's some beautiful countryside there as well.
0: Now you're an extremely successful man. Um congratulations. Um Justin's ex- successful in the next few years, he decides he's gonna retire early. Um where do you choose to retire?
1: Sunshine Coast.
0: Sunshine Coast? Why? Um, Specifically Noosa, Mullebar, well, Kings Beach. Uh,
1: there's a debate that's going on about this at the moment. So I really like the north end of the coast. Um, so I really like that stretch between kind of Noosa and Coolum.
0: Okay, Sunshine um, Beach,
1: Sunshine Beach, Sunrise Beach, yep. Marcus Beach. Um, but my my partner she really likes Caloundra. Right. Um, the, the I, I like Caloundra. She's a little bit more down to earth.
0: Well, the, un- the only problem I have
1: with Calandra is I'm not 85, so I think right. it'd be really nice if if I was 80 to live down there. But um, I think she'll probably win, so we'll probably be on the southern Good. end of the coast. But I did see Pat Rafter sold his house recently for seventeen and a half mil. So um, goodness me, if you guys do a few more auctions, it could could just be the chance.
0: What's the most expensive auction you've ever called?
1: We sold one on Hedges for eight point eight point eight mil. Wow, um, we sold one last week actually in Paddington for seven point five, but I think hedges at eight point eight is the highest. Okay,
0: excellent. Yep. And you call auctions in New Zealand. What's it like to go over there? Uh,
1: it's good. Yeah, different marketplace. So um, it's it's a really buoyant marketplace and, mm-hmm. and still quite strong. They think it's it's sort of flattened a little bit because the market has changed, um, stepped back a little bit there. But their market is still be better than ours or superior to ours. So it's enjoyable and it also is professionally challenging. And I think you need a challenge after a while. Like it's different legislation. It's it's right. different. Although like there's some similarities, it's different buyer dialogues, different seller dialogues, um, different word terminology around land and things like that. So it does keep you on your toes a little bit because you are constantly challenging yourself and preparing differently.
0: Yeah, awesome. So um, I suppose, what does the next few years look like for you? What is, give us a tip on on property? Give us a tip on where Southeast Queensland market's going, the Australian market. You've got so much exposure; um, you probably see more property than than anybody that gets to see property. Give us a bit of a rundown on what it looks like in the next few years.
1: I honestly think it's going to be more of the same. I don't see the market significantly increasing. I don't see the market significantly decreasing. I think what we've got now is normality for a while. Um, I know there was an article that came out recently about Brisbane property prices, 20% in three years. I just don't think that's... Feasible as much as I'd love as a Brisbane property owner for that to be the case I just don't think that's reality um, And I just don't think there's any signs to, pos- to position the market going down either I think it's just going to be as it is um, I think listings will probably loosen a little bit They've been really tight this year mm-hmm. um, And we haven't had the flow-on effect of really tight listings and a buyer frenzy That hasn't happened either mm-hmm. So I think we'll just normal um, It'll be a bit more of normality where we get more listings come to the market um, Buyers still will probably have choice yep. But there won't be a complete dearth either, so it'll just be a pretty fair and balanced market for a little while.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that's certainly I'd uh, exactly that. Um, it's probably more a case of the market being able to navigate the, the financial landscape, um, which has changed significantly, but um, I think, yeah, we're seeing the same sort of things for prices. So probably comes back to that education piece and, and learning the ways of what we have to do today rather than 10 years ago to get property. Um, mate, you've got a, a really um, successful team uh, is, is team where you see yourself in the future with auctions or do you see yourself still calling auctions?
1: Well, that's a really hard question. There's probably a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Yep. Um, I, I love being an auctioneer and, and being an auctioneer has provided a lot of things for me. It's provided, you know, um, uh, really a life and a house and... Um, all that kind of stuff. So uh, auctions will always be part of me in some way, shape or form. But I think the, the challenge you have as an independent auctioneer is it is um, a business where it is relying on you being in it all the time. So mm. if you do want to travel and go overseas for for quite an extended stint, it's quite difficult to do that because you can't replicate yourself. Um, and quite often you open the door for competitors to come in and have a free audition for your work, which is never, sure. <laughs> never a good business strategy. So mm. I think there'll be a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Um, I think developing people is a passion of mine um, and trying to change that passion to be developing people who are around you and around you all the time. Mm. Um, Our auctioneers, we don't spend a heap of time with them during the week because it's kind of all over the place and everyone's pretty isolated. And I really do look at, you know, um, businesses like yours and the challenge that you've got is you've got to be so present and visible for your people because you can't not see your people because you're coming in this building and they're coming in this building. So if you don't follow through on promises, if you're Mm. not seen to be growing and actively um, you know pushing their business forward then you're gonna have to confront that at some point so i'm interested in your take mate what's um for you when when you wake up and you know that you've got 35 40 people what's your staff number now
0: um i think we're about 50 or 60 yep oh, yeah across the businesses yeah there's well you're tart over 60 now
1: so when you know every morning when you when your eyes wake up and your head comes off the pillow that you're gonna have 50 or 60 people looking at you that day for mm. direction and leadership how does that sit with you and how do you carry that without letting it destroy you, really?
0: Um, the number of people's not the challenge. Um, and I can speak to that probably because I started with me and then went to one person and that was hard. And I think of tradies that are, you know go and put their first apprentice on and then they get rid of their next apprentice and then the next one and the next one and they never get past tools or staff. Um, I don't think it matters if you've got one staff member or you've got, 60 staff members it's you go through different levels of of hardness I I think that the key for us is having a common goal that you know I wake up and we're thinking about what what that common goal is and then really my job now is trying to rally everybody to be able to see that common goal and understand it and interpret it and then do great things to achieve that so um so I mean a follow-up
1: question if you don't mind on that this is now my (laughs) podcast so yep podcast welcome Josh Kindry, our first guest. Um, Josh, what's what's been the most rewarding moment for you as a leader? Individual moment.
0: Yeah, uh, individually I'd, I'd just go to a lot of our people that have developed from really nothing. Have you got um, an
1: example on someone?
0: Um, I've, got a, I've got a few really cool examples. Um, we've got a young girl in our business, um, Brooke um she started with us and had never really had a job she sort of worked in a call center she started as a receptionist assistant um i no no disrespect to brookie but she uh you know she did well to get to work on time and have a uniform ironed um we've got a security policy in our business so we don't we won't fire anyone which is pretty interesting in real estate to not fire anyone and So we pursued with Brooke and she's developed into a really fantastic property manager now. She manages about 90 properties in her portfolio and um, she still has a lot of ups and downs but, um, you know, so many young kids do. She's 23 and, you know, she's a leader in her own right in our business. Um, There's other young people that have... Yeah, really seeing the young people develop into leaders um, is probably what gets me really excited, gets my adrenaline pumping. So, Yeah. Thanks for asking a question, Justin. What, what let me let me ask you one more and we're gonna, we're going to wrap up. Um what what do you think's the the key to success? You you've been you are extremely successful. Um and you're exposed to a lot of successful people uh and Australasia's number one auctioneer. What what's your key to success? Formally.
1: I'm not currently.
0: Formally? Formally. Formally. You you <laughs>
1: Been successful, not currently successful, but I hope, to get, I hope to get back there one day.
0: Yeah, well, good, aspirational still.
1: Um, I always subscribe to that the secret is that there's no secret. And I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I just think if ever you're looking for the secret, it's there's actually not a secret to it. It's In most cases, it just boils down to how hard you work. Um, and I think w- what I've managed to do is I've managed to work really hard um, at what I've done, I, I know as an as an auctioneer when I first began, I was not talented. Um I thought I was, mm. I thought I was fantastic, but the mentors that I had at that time were were pretty quick to point out that you were a long way from the mark. So my first auctioneering competition I went in it was the novice auctioneering uh, novice auctioneer of the year for the q's yep. in about two thousand and it would have been two thousand and ten probably. Um, so anyway, I've, I've got up to deliver my auction, thought I killed it, walked off and, and my mentor was sitting in the crowd and I said, mate, how, how's that? You know, all I wanted was validation. Yeah. Um, him to say that was fantastic, mate. Best I've ever seen your child prodigy, all that kind of stuff. He said, Oh mate, I probably got your fifth at this stage. And Ouch. I was the fifth competitor. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think I finished eighth out of ninth. I actually think I, I knocked someone off somehow, um, unbelievably. But what I what I made a commitment to was that this was going to be my career. Mm. So it didn't matter how long it took me to get to whatever the definition of success is. And that, that can be different to different people. But I just wanted to make sure that no one was going to outwork me. Um, and I've been probably proud that that's probably my most... The thing I'm most proud of is that no one has outworked me in that period. Um, One of the things that we do, this is a small example, is numbers are a big thing of our business, obviously, because numbers Mm. are, are kind of the fundamental part of auctioneering. So we've got an exercise where you add up a deck of cards. Right. So you add up a deck of cards, uh, aces are one, face cards are 10, give it a go sometime, it's, it's quite a fun exercise, yep. um, good party trick, so you should add up to 340. So as auctioneers, we still do this today, where you'll add up this deck of cards, and it's a timing challenge to see how quickly you can do it. Cool. So when I started, I was two and a half minutes, that was how long it took me to add up a deck of cards. Yep. Um, so my, my fastest ever time now, which is semi-recently, was 23 seconds. Wow. And that's only through working at it. Yeah, so the fastest time ever, just for those that are like a bit of trivia, is 19 seconds. Um, so that's lightning. So that's your,
0: and what did you say? You're 23. 23 seconds. Yeah, you've got four seconds car. to go. I do. Yeah. All right, that's awesome. Yeah. Hard uh, work. Hard work beats talent. Hard
1: work and consistency. Yeah. Being consistent is the most underrated attribute of everything. Being consistent, um, whatever it is, just do it consistently.
0: Justin, thank you so much for joining us. This is the the Click Podcast. You can join us on Facebook and Instagram at Click Podcast. Um, Head over to the website, Click Podcast. Thank you very, very much. Um, You're a great man for joining us so early in our podcast journey. Um, Live every Friday, guys. Thanks, Justin.
1: Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Cheers.